up until now, Jesus has been healing people, cleansing people, casting out demons. He's been teaching on forgiveness and starting to raise the ire, the, the, the kind of the hackles of those who don't want Jesus. So already we've seen the Pharisees and the Herodians, two groups that hate each other, are now starting to plot to kill Jesus. Ironically, they're doing that on the Lord's Day, on the Sabbath. But here we see Jesus now speaking to crowds and starting to explain why is it some people don't get Jesus? Why is it some people can hear all this about Jesus and there's no change? Why does that happen? Hear Jesus' words. Mark 4 verse 1. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him so that he could, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, Some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around with him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he said to him, and he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but For those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive. That they may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes the word away, which is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said to them, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. 
With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is the word of the Lord. We are thankful we get to hear it. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, we have ears to hear. So now prepare our hearts by the ploughing of the preaching of your word and by your Spirit's power, sow your word deep in us. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen. What is the essential feature of a joke? You know when someone says, I was joking? What is the essential feature of a joke? Firstly, it needs to be funny. And the, the proverbs actually guard against this whole idea of like, oh, you know, saying mean things and then just saying I was joking. Well, that's not what a joke's meant to be. It's meant to be funny. It's not meant to be mean, nasty. What's the other essential feature of a joke? That it's got a punchline. And what does that mean for the recipient of the punchline? It's really important they get it. You know what it's like. I've been there. I've not got the punchline. You're standing in a circle. Someone says a joke. And you're smiling because you know it's a joke and you know the punchline's coming. And then you're like, and you can tell everyone else is like laughing their head off. And you're going, I think I should, do I pretend? No, I can't pretend. I will not lie. I don't get the joke. And so I'm standing there staring into the space with an inane smile on my face. Um, I don't have a lot of jokes in my pocket, so I don't have you know, ready-to-go jokes. I have one. In fact, I've had one since I was about 15, and it's an Irish joke. And reforming, you've heard it before, if you've been with us. So you think, oh, here we go. Here's Russ's joke. But uh, it's got a story, this joke, because I thought, I'll test it in Ireland. Now, I want to say this. I love the Irish people. This is not meant to be an offensive joke. It's not a dig at the Irish. Um, But 20 or so years ago, I happened to be in Ireland, it's where I first met Presbyterians, actually. If you're wondering what sort of church you're in, you're in a Presbyterian church. I hope you knew that from the sign as you came in, but just in case that shocked you, we're a Presbyterian church. I didn't grow up in a Presbyterian church, and I was a really, really young Christian when I ended up in Ireland. And uh, I didn't know much, and um, I was, yes, anyway, long another story. And I was working on a farm and staying with this family. And they're in a big house and they all stayed together. And this, this family were lovely, all right? And we used to have these nights during the week where we'd, we'd stop work and we'd be around the fire, put the peat on the fire, which is like they're burning dirt. I don't understand how it works, but it's old dirt, peat. They're burning the dirt and they would talk theology. And it got to a Saturday night and um, they said, Russell, we're Christians here. So we're going to go to church tomorrow. Are you going to come with us? I said, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'll go to church. It's great. And so I, I first met these lovely people, Presbyterians, dear people. Anyway, I was there a long time, quite some time, spent most of my year over there. And uh, I had this Irish joke. And you know what they say about the Irish? You know, like in Australia of Irish jokes, uh, heads up, there's an Australian joke coming. So I'm, this is not a dig at the Irish. But people say the Irish, I don't know, uh, slow or different. And so there's these jokes, if in case you didn't know that. Well, I thought I would test an Irish joke in Ireland to see how it went. And so I did. And one night we're around the fire and I said, oh, 
let me tell you how I arrived in this country. I, I flew into Dublin uh, to get a bus to come up north, and I, I get up and I um, had to stay in Dublin overnight. And um, so I, I went to youth hostel, and I had my backpack there, and I put it down, and I'm registering in youth hostel. And then the guy behind the counter comes around and he picks up my bag and he says, "Follow me, sir. I'll be right behind you." Now, I told that joke, and they said, initially, that's not funny. Makes total sense. Right. Because they were pulling my leg. (laughs) Jokes need a punchline. It's like that joke about Bruce. So, just so you know, I'm not, this is not having a go at the Irish. It's like that joke about Bruce. You know, the joke, Bruce is going back to Melbourne on a Qantas flight. So he's in Sydney, and the, uh, the operator at the desk says, and uh, how many people are flying with you, Bruce? And Bruce says, oh, I don't know, mate. It's your aeroplane. Anyway, just so you know, I'm doing Australian accents as well today. No particular dig at anyone. I love those people over there and still correspond with them. Parables are stories that have a punchline for us to get. Jesus doesn't tell parables just to be interesting or to entertain or for us to kind of stand there going. He tells parables that have a punchline and it's really important, friends, in the small amount of time we have for us to get that punchline today. The title of this sermon is that we are to listen like our life depends upon it. Jesus wants us to listen like our life depends upon it. We must get the punchline. We must get the point of this parable. Since the beginning of Mark's gospel, Jesus has been teaching. He's been proclaiming. In fact, we saw this in chapter one. His very first moment of teaching, he proclaims, the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, it's near. Repent and believe in the gospel. But up until this point in Mark's gospel, Jesus has not explained what the kingdom is. He just said, Repent, that is turn, do a 180, turn and believe in the good news of the king. And now he's going to explain what the kingdom of God is like in a few parables. And he's explaining for us to see this, to get it and to have our lives changed. And this parable today is about four soils. And this parable really is asking the deep questions of life that you're asking, even if you're asking it subconsciously. This morning, as we do, we gather this morning and we have an hour of preparation before the service. So the music team is here. Um, the media team are here. We're all preparing. The meals team are here. And as we do that, um, people ask each other, how was your week? And we do that. We ask how our weeks are because our weeks are full of all sorts of things that happen. And as those things happen, you might be asking questions like this. How will I ever see change in my life? because last week was just so hard. How will I see change in my own life, fruit in my life, no matter what my life looks like? Well, it depends upon you listening like your life depends on it. Another question, have you ever thought about what we're doing here? Like, why we do this? Why would you not be somewhere else right now having coffee or playing sport or doing anything else but this? Why would we come and spend about half of our time of gathered worship listening to a sermon, listening to lots of words? The answer? Because we're listening like our life depends upon it. 
a directly related question. Why has God given us a book? Why has not God given us a DVD? Why has not God given us a book of images? Or a movie? Or a TV series? Or some puppets to come along and say, I'm Jesus. I'm the disciples. I'm the Pharisees. Why Why is it a book of words? Why is it all words? Because we need to listen to God speaking like our life depends upon it. Why is Jesus himself so focused with all the healings he could be doing, all the cleansing he could be carrying out? Why is he so laser-like focused throughout Mark's gospel on preaching? Because it depends upon hearing his word, listening like your life depends upon it. And this parable is all about, do you notice? What's it all about? Listening. Parables are stories of punchlines for us to get the point to listen to. What is a parable? Well, Greek scholar Bill Mounts, I like Bill Mounts because we had to read his book at Moore College, so it was a kind of a staple for us and he's really reliable. Bill Mounts says that the word parabole, the Greek word parabole, uh, it means, let me just quote him, it means placing one thing beside another, a comparing a parallel. Often it's an illustration, it's a comparison or a short story where something else is figured by the story. Sometimes it can even be fictitious to illustrate a truth. That's a parable. I want you to notice this. They're used throughout the Bible. So the Old Testament prophets use parables. Um, for example, Nathan, uh, Isaiah, Ezekiel use parables all the time to bring meaning to get a punchline into someone's life. And here you'll notice parables throughout Mark's gospel are told for two reasons, Jesus says. The first one is this. If you have ears to hear, if you are ready to listen, the parable explains difficult truths in memorable ways. So if you're ready to listen, you want to know, if you are seeking to know for your very life what Jesus is saying, Parables are so helpful. The parables also have another reason they're told. Because if you are a hearer with a hard heart, if your heart is starting to raise objections or reasons not to listen or be distracted from it, for hearers with hard hearts, parables actually speak a prophetic word of judgment. Because if a person is not repentant from their heart, they never get the punchline. Forever. In Mark 4 alone, the word parable occurs eight times. Just in this chapter, just in this section, eight times it occurs. And here Jesus speaks about four soils. He's talking about how the kingdom of God grows as the gospel word is heard. You see this? You see it in verses 1 to 9, 14 to 20. It's on the service sheet there, outlines it for you. A sower goes out to sow. It's a familiar story. And if you are growing up in that agricultural-based society, this is so familiar. You've seen this. You know this. A sower goes out to sow. It's so ordinary. And the disciples, knowing such an ordinary scene in Jesus, picks it up and uses it, thankfully ask all our questions. You know how there's, I said this morning, if you come to the membership group uh, tonight, the membership class tonight at 5 p.m., or if you come to Exploring, there's no such thing as a dumb question. Well, thankfully, the disciples believe that because they ask all the questions that we think, oh, I get it, your disciples are so dumb. 
We're secularly going, I, I just got so glad they asked that question too. The disciples ask the question we see in verse 10 because they don't understand it. Like they've heard the parable, but Jesus, help us out here. So briefly, Jesus explains it. The sower first. Let's look at the sower. Firstly and foremost, the sower is Jesus himself. The sower, firstly, is Jesus. But secondly, it's every preacher of the gospel. Anyone who speaks the gospel. And as the sower goes to sow, he sows a seed. Let's look at the seed. Have you ever thought about what a seed is? A seed is an amazing piece of creation. Because in one small seed is all the information needed for a plant or a massive tree to grow. Everything that's needed for that plant to grow is in that small seed. And that seed is the Word of God. Everything a person needs to change and grow is in the Word of God. And that seed is sown in the soil. Now, what is the soil? You thought it was soil. Uh, when I went to university, to Ag College, uh, we would get um, a wrap over the knuckles, proverbially speaking, if we used the word dirt. If our soils lecturer heard us using the word dirt, yeah, I'm going out to go and test the dirt. Well, yeah, and then you're going to get in trouble for that because it's not dirt, it's soil. Because what's the difference? Soil is another amazing part of creation. It's, it's different to rocks. It's got all that's needed to host the seed. A soil that's good is receptive to a seed and the seed can grow. And so Jesus explains this parable and notice it's in plural. He says the first type of recipients, plural, it's peoples, people. The first type are like the path. These are ones where the word is sown. They hear it at the very least, but Satan quickly snatches it away. Then there's the rocky ground. People who are kind of that rocky ground type of soil, they've got rocks in amongst the soil. The problem is they have no possibility of root. There's no endurance. There's no patience. So when it's hard to be a Christian, they don't endure. In fact, verse 17, when persecution or difficulty comes on account of the word, not difficulty comes because they're just being a jerk, that's not a persecution. If someone's just being a jerk, it's not persecution. Because, no, it's on account of their gentleness and grace and belief in Jesus, persecution comes. And on account of that, well, what's their choice? Do I endure this sort of persecution? No, I'd rather not, actually. So I'll just, I'll just stop enduring. I'll stop believing that word. Then there's the third soil whose people have so much going on in their lives. You know, that type, we, we talked about this last week, we're looking at rest. I mentioned how it's, I find it difficult, I find it quite intimidating, actually, when you say to someone, how are you going? They'll say, I'm busy. I'm so intimidated by that. I, just, I feel like I don't want to ask anything more, because I feel like I'm even imposing upon you by asking how you are. I just don't want to, I'm sorry. I just, I'm sorry, I asked, I'll go over here. And You know, people are probably, I'm busy. It, it, it comes across as either, I have no interest in talking with you. I'm so busy. I'm so important. That's the third soil. They've got so much going on in their lives, 
It crowds out the word growing and bearing fruit. And they have thorns in their life, the cares of the world, perhaps the love of money, the desire for stuff or the desire for status. And it chokes out the word growing them in humility and fruitfulness. The first three soils are soils of sadness, friends. And we should be able to identify we could. Is it possible my soil can start ending up like that? I end up like that. But here's the good soil. The good soil are the ones who hear and accept and bear fruit. Jesus says twice in this passage, do you notice? Look at verse 9 and look at verse 23. He repeats it. He says twice, because it's worth hearing. He who has ears, let him hear. It's a sad thing to listen to Jesus' words and walk away and nothing happens. The punchline of the parable is that we need to listen for our very lives. And the end point of what Jesus is doing is that he intends for us to listen, accept the word, and bear fruit. Because even though there's four soils mentioned, there's only two big types. That is, it's fruitlessness in your life or fruitfulness. See, some people try, and many do it today, they, they'll say they accept the word. Yeah, I'm a Christian, and I think this was me a little bit when I ended up in Ireland. I'm a Christian. But I didn't really care much for Jesus' word. I didn't care much for his church that he purchased by his blood. I didn't care much for thinking about the things of God and talking theology by the fire. I want to talk about tractors and other things and utes and circle work and dirt and dirt bikes. Which, fun things to talk about for five minutes, but never change your life and will not save your life. I was such a young Christian. I was like, you're a Christian, but... I think I was probably, at best, soil three. Soil three ends up being fruitless. The thing is, just to accept the word, just to to say, yeah, I'm a Christian, is not the point of sowing the seed. It's not just so the seed goes into the soil and stays there. No one sows seed in the soil and says, that's a beautiful thing. Bare soil. Uh, it's the point is fruitfulness. There should be fruit, growth, change. And so the hearers of Jesus' explanation, hear with his word, the question is for us, the question is for me, will I accept this fruitfully? For Jesus goes on to give the secret of the kingdom of God, the mystery, how the word works. This is the second point in your outline, verses 10 to 13 or 21 and 25. So the disciples don't just ask for Jesus to explain the parable. They ask this, why do you use them? Why use the parables? And Jesus' answer is to quote from Isaiah 6, our cross-reference reading earlier. And he says this, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But to everyone else who won't accept that word, Here's what happens, and he quotes Isaiah 6. They may indeed see, but not perceive, verse 12. They may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Do you see the opportunity before us to listen to Jesus and turn and be forgiven, to repent and believe in the gospel? God 
is undertaking a rescue operation in his world today. I think it's good and right we, we work at saving all sorts of things. We want to save rainforests and we want to save animals from extinction. Do you see what God is doing? From beginning to end, he is saving the humans. He is saving us for relationship with him forever. And Isaiah 6, notice, what was the original context of Isaiah chapter 6? It was Israel who had hard hearts. God's people. God's people say, yeah, I'm a person of God, I'm a person of God, but they would not listen to God, and they had hard hearts. And so God gives them this parable in Isaiah 6, that Isaiah the prophet, who feels so alone, here I am, send me, who else is there? And every prophet has felt that, Elijah felt that, and they go to God's people of all people who should accept it, but instead they won't. They close their eyes their ears, their hearts to the word of God, and that gives a warning. Not many words later, in verse 33, Mark writes this, With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples explained everything. Do you see this? Jesus is so gracious. Theologically, in the Reformed Church, we use this phrase, means of grace. Jesus gives grace. And what are his means of grace? The ordinary means of grace are his word, prayer, his people, the church, the sacraments that we'll celebrate in the Lord's Supper later. Why are they ordinary means of grace? Because they're so ordinary. We don't do anything here that's crazy, flashy. We're not riding motorbikes into church to impress you. We're not got any special light and sound thing. In fact, the people you see from the front I won't speak for the others, but they're all unimpressive. They're sinners in need of grace because we all need the ordinary means of grace that God has ordinarily in every generation come and given us his word, the gift of talking to him in prayer, his people, the church, to encourage one another. And in that sacrament of the Lord's Supper, we'll have communion in in a moment. To know that his grace comes to us so that we can have forgiveness of sins. We can have relationship, right relationship with God through Christ. Do you see what Jesus is doing? These parables are given for us to listen and have our lives changed because your life depends on it. How did God make the universe? Years ago, we were babysitting a family and they had four boys. And if you got, if you know what a family of four boys is like, it's kind of like, Caring for a football team. And the other three older ones were a bit rough on their youngest. So we were babysitting them and we're kind of like, they needed to be kind to their brother Daniel. But anyway, it happened throughout the Saturday. It gets to dinner time. And they all said to us, because Daniel had at that time a tongue tie. So he had a lisp. And they said to us, hey, hey, Russ and Amy, Russ and Amy, watch this, watch this. And they, they looked over at Daniel, who's three years old. And they said, Daniel... How did God make the world? And Daniel straight away said, he spoke it. And they're all like, they're in cackles of laughter, right? They're so funny. Oh, he's got a list. Let's laugh at someone, which I think is very nasty and mean. But that wasn't what struck us. As they're laughing, our eyes are fixed on Daniel. And they stopped laughing. And I said, what's going on? And I said, 
He's three years old. And he was able to say, in a moment, how the Lord made the world. He spoke it. He's been catechized well. He's been discipled well. He knows and believes the Lord spoke the world into existence. That was amazing. How did God make the world? Three-year-olds know. He spoke it. How is God saving the world? Three-year-olds can know. He is speaking. He made the world by his word. He is saving the world by his word. That is God's rescue mission by his word. So how do, how do people like you and I come back to like having fellowship with God in the garden? We hear his word and we believe it. We accept it and we endure with it and we grow in fruitfulness. See, many people want impressive Jesus, the physical miracles, the temporary stuff. But actually what we need is the deep and abiding word of Jesus that saves us and sanctifies us. To us has been given the secret of the kingdom of God to understand the kingdom. But for those who want to stay on the outside, the parables they never fully understand because they don't want to understand or believe in the parable giver. The gospel word is power, friends. Romans 1, it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Jesus finishes this parable by saying, when you get a lamp, right? And I don't know if you use lamps. We've got one that sits in the back patio at home. And you put a candle in it, like one of those little tiny candles. In case it falls over, it won't burn the house down. It'll burn the back table. That's about it, Lord willing. But we've got one of those candles, uh, lamps. Now, you don't light that lamp and then go, hey, everyone, I've lit the lamp. I'm going to go and put it under Knox's bed. That's silly. Jesus is saying something that everyone would be going, Jesus, this is nonsense. Of course you don't put a lamp under a bed or under a basket. You put it on a stand. The point Jesus is making this in verse 22. Nothing is hidden except made manifest, nor is anything secret except come to light. The proclamation of the kingdom of God is like bringing a lamp into a room. It brings light and clarity and exposes things. It makes hidden things now clear and present. Jesus, as he speaks his word, is revealing the hidden secrets of our hearts. Are you wanting to be believing in Jesus and be like him? Or don't you want that kind of change in your life? And if the hearer responds rightly to the message, more will be added. They will bear fruit, but the person rejects will lose much more than they could imagine. Do you get the punchline? Do you see what's going on? Friends, you need to get the punchline. You absolutely need to hear what Jesus is saying and believe him at his word. But here's a problem that you and I have. We can't. Not on our own. Humanly speaking, we are unable to. We are so depraved by sin, so turn the other direction. I cannot because I'm smart enough or not smart enough. Simple or profound. I cannot, by my own measure, come to Jesus just because I worked it out. I worked out the parable. I worked out the mystery. Look at the closing words of Jesus 
In this section, it's verse 33, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. See, Jesus speaking parables, as he's speaking, he, by the Spirit of Christ, is opening our eyes, our ears, our minds to understand so that we can hear it, so we can believe it. In John 12, Jesus said this about seeds. In John 12, context is talking about the kingdom of God, and Jesus says this. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Do you know what he's saying? This is the last thing you'll learn about seeds today in our soils and seeds agricultural lesson. A seed which has all the information you need for a plant will not do anything unless it first dies. A seed put into your hand today has the potential for life. But a plant cannot grow unless that that seed, with all its information, uses the other thing that's in that seed. It's starch. It's glucose. It's sugars. It's the little energy that pumps the seed, the root, to go down for the plant to emerge. It gives it the kickstart before photosynthesis needs to kick in as it hits the surface. But once that's expended, the seed is dead. And so Jesus says in John 12, the seed must first die before the plant grows. Do you see what Jesus is saying? Jesus is the sower of the word. He's sown his word today, but I want you to see something else. Jesus is the Word. Jesus, John's Gospel style, is the Word made flesh. He is the revelation of God. He is the Word of God come to you. And do you see what Jesus does as the seed? Jesus is the seed that dies. Jesus is the seed that himself dies. And although he didn't come as a tree, he gets nailed to a tree for you and me. That is his grace to us. That is what he does for us. The very word of God comes for us, not just to listen, but to live because he dies. That's the gospel. And that's the gospel word at work in you and in me. It's not just hearing it. It's accepting and bearing fruit It's being changed by listening to the words of Jesus and living for Jesus. Earlier in this series, I said that Mark wrote the first gospel. So the, oh, the four gospels, Mark writes the first one. And we see in Mark's gospel, it's very likely he gets lots of his first-hand information from Peter. And Peter writes this in his letter about the word. He says this to the church. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding work of God, word of God. You see this? Because Jesus died and rose again, we have a future that is incredibly bright. We can keep listening to Jesus now, and we get to listen to Jesus forever, because he is our king, the king of the kingdom. Which means for us now, a couple of things. friends. What is the one thing getting between you and seeing Jesus' word change you? It's a soil type of a hard heart. It's pride. It's that 
self-righteousness we'd rather cling to than confess it. It's a heart that would rather say, I've got this, Jesus. I just want you to do a couple of things for me, but I really don't want you to get into the inner crevices and change my life inside out, Jesus. It's that kind of thing where you would rather say, I'm happy to see, but not perceive. I'm happy to hear, but I don't really need to understand. Now that there's a warning Jesus has. That attitude of your heart, that soil means you you actually don't get to turn and be forgiven. Listen to the words of Jesus. Let the gospel go in deep. I know some of us might say things like, I hear this, like particularly among men, and I'm sympathetic to this. I, I grew up in a, in, a, in a family that, I guess you could say this, a lot of the men in our family would say, I'm not into words. I'm not into reading. Which wasn't really true because they would read tractor manuals and fertilizer profile publications. But I, I just want to say, look, it might be that you have struggle reading. That's not the same as you don't want to read God's word, is it? It's not the same as I don't want to listen to God's word. If you struggle with reading or struggle with hearing, come and tell us. Come and tell the elders of this church. We love meeting with people of all types of reading ability or people who can't read to explain and listen to Jesus' words. Don't let that be the reason that you just have some reason you've told yourself, you've come to believe that I don't need to be interested in reading or the Bible or hearing Don't believe that. That's a hard, hard attitude that says, I don't need this. Our friends, God has given us a book. We are people of the word. That is how we're going to see our lives changed. It might be that for you, it's not that issue. But look, you might say, and look, I understand this too, because I get this. We're all sorts of cares and concerns in the world. I've got so much to think about, Russ. I've got no time for this. I can think about it briefly on a Sunday. But I don't, I, my week is so full. I'm doing so much. The question is not, is Jesus' word imposing upon your life? The question is, what are you doing in your life to crowd out Jesus' word? Because the opportunity is not coming to you by rules or regulation or burdens. It's coming by grace. Jesus is speaking for you, for your life. And that's how we, lastly, as a church, are going to make disciples, isn't it? I wonder where you thought of it. If you've been to other churches, and I've been to a bunch of different churches, I've grown up in all sorts of different backgrounds, but you can tell a church that loves Jesus because they love his word. You can tell a church that prays the word and preaches the word and sings the word and hears the word and believes the word and sees the work working in us and actually asking one another over morning to your church lunch, how can I pray for you? How can I encourage you with the gospel? That's a church that loves Jesus. We pray that would be us. That we would Colossians 3.16 style. Let the word of Christ dwell richly 
in you, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So friends, part of our application is we're going to do that right now. We're going to sing. And I get, like many men like me or my uncles, could say, oh, I'm not really into singing. I'm not really into words. I'm not really into singing. I haven't got a good singing voice. I'm going to tell you, the media team let me know, and I'm so thankful for this, I'm one of the least of the singers of this congregation. You don't come to me for tune, melody, rhythm, or anything else that's associated with singing. But if you believe this, and you pray for this to be fruitful in your life, could you sing, lift your voice in song, and sing this next song, Speak, O Lord, as a prayer, as a thankfulness, and say, we want to sing, we want to believe this. Let's stand and sing together before we take in the supper.